Thank you, Wes, for that beautiful music this morning. So lovely to come into this gorgeous room, beautiful day, and to have had an extra hour of sleep. Thank you for being here. Everyone's on time. That's all we have to do is change the time every weekend. Um, Problem solved. Uh, My name is Romy. Thank you for being here. I work in events. Many of my coworkers are here this morning, along with fabulous volunteers who all have name tags. So if you have any questions or issues, you can please see any one of us wearing a name tag. Um, Let's see. I want to say that we have a self-serve bookstore with Joanna and Wes's books. They're all on display in a table just outside in our tea area. So if something piques your curiosity and interest, you can walk into the bookstore and uh, find their books there. It's a self-serve bookstore, but our volunteer Jim may be in there throughout the day to help you. Why don't you turn off your cell phones while I'm thinking of it? And if you are having a hard time hearing me this morning, we have assisted hearing devices in the back of the room. You can pick one up with Jesse. As you can see, we do allow drinks in this room. We love if your um, cups are covered so we don't have any accidents. During lunchtime, it's a gorgeous day. You're welcome to go outside. We have tables in the meadow area if it's warm enough for you. We'll set up tables outside. We will have a teen class upstairs around lunchtime. So I'll ask you to stay down here. We'll ask the teens to stay upstairs. We do have a residential retreat. So you're welcome to walk up the road, but when you get to the wood I'm going to ask you to turn around, please, and not to go past that. Um, Speaking of lunch, if you forgot your lunch today, we have Woodacre Deli across the street, and I can give you directions. Um, We'll be ringing a bell for you to come in from walking meditation or for lunch. So if you hear a bell, that's most likely for you, because I think the teens um, will not be using a bell today. They're here for a short time. 
And you will get a survey in your email inbox today at 3 p.m. You'll be here, of course, but when you get home, if you have time in the next couple days to fill it out, we do read it and we do make changes based on your suggestions. So thank you very much for doing that. All right, I will introduce our co-teachers today, Wes and Joanna. I'll start with Wes because... I know Wes a little bit better, and Wes, if you want to see Wes with no hair sitting on an elephant, all you have to do is walk up a little bit, and on the left you'll see the gratitude hut, and there's a picture of him in there, and it's lovely to see, and it's, it'll bring a smile to your face, and so will his socks. Excellent, Wes. Wes is an author, as many of you know, and he has many books outside and in our bookstore. And my favorite is called You Are Not Your Fault. Fault. You Are Not Your Fault. And we are selling that in the bookstore. And I do want to say that Wes is doing a New Year's Eve celebration here with dancing, music, and big fun. So for those of you that are looking for New Year's Eve plans, um, please feel free to come out to Spirit Rock. And Joanne I just met this morning, and she's very lovely. And I think many of you know her much better than I do. She's a Ph.D. and also has written several books on ecology, justice, and environmental issues. And on the Buddha Dharma. Oh, and the Buddha Dharma. How could I have forgotten? And Wes as well, a meditator for, I think you've been meditating for 85 years or so? (laughs) He looks great, doesn't he? Um, So that's all I have to say. I'm going to turn it over so we can begin our day. Thank you for all being here. It's lovely to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Romy. Romy does such a wonderful job managing us, keeping the trains running on time. It's wonderful. And and all the volunteers. This place uh, has a different feel because of you coming and offering your services. And it always is a delight for me to get out of my car here at Spirit Rock and the beauty of this land and uh, the welcoming nature of this land and then coming into these halls and these rooms in the community meditation center and up in the retreat center, just realizing that uh, these wonderful practices of refining our minds and opening our hearts is taking place here in such a deep way. Really creating what Joanna so often says in her writing, writings and in her work. This awakening, awakening, coming back to life. That's the title of one of her wonderful books. I, uh, knowing that I was coming here today to teach with Joanna, I got coming back to life which is one of her books, and it's just full of beautiful exercises and reflections and practices that you can use to really get in touch with your identity as a living being, first and foremost, or maybe earthling, first and foremost. Um, 
I, I realize that if we ever find life in another galaxy, we'll have to become galaxy identified. We'll be milk, Milky Wayans. That's right. To recognize our, our identity as Milky Wayans, as Earthlings, as alive. I mean, I always knew I was alive, but it wasn't until I encountered the Dharma that I really began to feel it reverberate, that fact, that part of my identity which is so central to my identity. Um, and then animal. I certainly feel my animal self in meditation, all those powerful instincts and drives that it, I inherit from all the life that came before me. Um, that's what Joanna teaches, and I am so honored to be here with her. She had such an influence on me in, uh, back in the day, back in the 1900s. <laughs> uh, she was a senior developer and teacher of the idea of deep ecology and how the Buddha Dharma can really change our relationship to our, the life we're leading and the way we treat the earth. So, uh, as I said, it's really an honor to be here with her. We've taught together a few times, and it's always a delight to me. If you, yeah, I, I hope that you uh, have a wonderful day with us. Thank you so much for coming. And you actually all remembered about turning your clocks back. And I don't, it took me much longer to think that through this time. <laughs> Is it more or less? At any rate. And it's a big treat to be here with Wes. We, there were a number of week-long uh, retreats that we did up the hill in the 90s and the Knots. <laughs> the knots. <laughs> the knots, yeah. Yes. So this, uh, the Buddha Dharma has had a huge influence on me, not only in trying to uh, be a better person and to wake up to the miracle of being alive, but in how we can connect with each other um, and there's something very uh, distinctive unique indeed in the teachings of the uh, Lord Buddha uh, you know they're just the teachings about compassion and loving kindness and equanimity uh, joy in the joy of others those actually uh, belong are you find present in almost all the major beautiful uh, spiritual traditions. What is unique about the Buddha Dharma, about Gautama the Buddha's teachings, is not that being compassionate, as though he got some wonderful ways of phrasing it and approaching it, but in that core teaching of his, which is. Uh, on how we are related, that we are intrinsically part of <coughs> each other and the world that we make. And this was, we call, we call Paticca Samupada, 
dependent co-arising, this is a relational universe, and that we, uh, the phrase that I find on my lips a lot is, is that our mutual belonging. And this has come so precious right now because of the historical situation we're in where we in a culture that has been so focused on the isolated, separate, hyper-individualized cowboy ego uh, is that we uh, have been conditioned to experience ourselves uh, as separate and, and conditioned to compete. And we can see what this is doing to our world. It's tearing our world apart. Our technology's doing it. Our economy's doing it. Our weapons are doing it. Our, threatened, our threats to use our weapons are doing it. And we're very prey to that and prey to feeling scared and outraged. Uh, a lot of that, particularly in this time, seems to me. So uh, this, I'm looking forward to sharing with you uh, practices uh, and thoughts, but particularly practices that are interactive uh, for experiencing our mutual belonging to each other here, but also to life from the very beginning. Maybe you'll sing us your song about the beginning of life. <laughs> and and uh, so I'm going to be drawing on a form of group work that is familiar to some of you uh, called the work that reconnects. That's one of the names for it. Another name is deep ecology work where we uh, learn to experience and believe again in our deep belonging to this world, to this universe, to the teachings that have arisen and to and with each other. So, shall we start off? We start us off with a little settling of the mind. Yes, heart. yes, we'll start off. We'll start off with a little settling of the mind. Let me just read you first here a, a little poem by Thich Nhat Hanh. Because often we come to these events, these workshops, uh, with the idea that we're going to learn something that we can then take home and will make our life better. But really, it's all about this moment, these moments that we have right now. Uh, So this is Thich Nhat Hanh, our true heritage. The cosmos is filled with precious gems. I want to offer a handful of them to you this morning. Each moment you are alive is a gem, shining through and containing earth and sky, water and clouds. It needs you to breathe gently for the miracles to be displayed. Suddenly, You hear the birds singing, the pines chanting, see the flowers blooming, the blue sky, the white clouds. 
you, the richest person on earth, who have been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child. Come back and claim your heritage. We should enjoy our happiness and offer it to everyone. Cherish this very moment. Let go of the stream of distress and embrace life fully in your arms. So let's just, just with your eyes open, just gaze around the room for a little bit just to see who's here with you to share this day, this moment. Everybody so similar, wanting the same things, peace, love, good vibes. <laughs> and I always like to remind people when we start meditating to acknowledge and maybe feel a little bit that we're all together riding on this rock, hurling through space. We're spinning around the Earth's axis at up to a thousand miles an hour. We're spinning in our orbit through the solar system at 66,000 miles an hour. And you don't even have to hold on. <laughs> so we give gratitude for gravity. Without gravity, where would we be? <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> it's a wonder. It's all a wonder. I think Albert Einstein said that you can live your life as though nothing is a miracle or else live your life as though everything is a miracle. So let's close our eyes. Joanna once said something to me that's stuck in my mind and I've repeated over and over again. We don't seek to be liberated from life. We seek to be liberated through life. So bring your attention inward and feel this quality we call aliveness. Feel this warm animal body. Filled with sensations.
Feel yourself in this shape, this weight. Feel yourself resting on the earth. Bring your attention to rest on the streams of sensation created by the breath as it comes in and goes out. For a few breaths, at the end of each exhale, let your attention come to a different part of your body, the top of your head, your palms of your hands. Notice how the next breath comes on its own.
Taking the attitude of receiving your experience. Nothing you have to do, fix, accomplish, build. Simply accept the gift of breath in this moment. Life. Shifting perspective a little, I invite you to take your hand and touch your knee or your elbow. You might want to move your upper and lower teeth together gently. Feel the power of that jawbone. And feel the hardness of bone itself. Our bones are made of calcium, phosphates, silicates, carbon. Essentially the clay of earth. Mysteriously molded into this shape. your head a little bit, move your shoulders, your arms, the rib cage. Feel the whole assemblage of bones here, the skeletal shape. We're not only on the earth, we are of the earth. Where else could these bodies have come from? 
reflect for a moment for the first few billion years of life on the planet there were no feet or legs because there was no land to walk on or crawl on. Nature is like a great sculptor. We are the works of art. Now I invite you to place your hand on your stomach or touch your thigh or your upper arm and feel the watery nature of the flesh. Feel the moisture inside your mouth, around your eyes. 70% of our body is liquid and most of that liquid has the chemical consistency of the ocean. You might try licking your upper lip or your wrist. Taste the ocean. We are made of all natural earth ingredients, certified organic. Earth, water, fire. In biology they say everything that lives burns. Can you feel the heat inside your body or radiating around the surface of your skin? comes from the fires of the sun.
transformed into your living energy through these complex processes, photosynthesis, metabolism, burning, burning into your energy, fueling your life. Lighting up your life. Earth, water, sun, air. We live under a great dome of air. And like the fish who don't see the water, we hardly notice this medium that we swim through, that we move through. It's so light. Take your hand and wave it in front of your face. You can feel waves of air. You can actually feel the air outside of yourself. And of course, there is the great pulse, the great pump of air in the breath. If you pay close attention, you might just notice a subtle rustle of energy with each in-breath. As the cells in your body burn and the relaxation in the exhale, carrying the vital elements of life, circulating them. You might reflect that with every breath, you are exchanging nutrients with the plant kingdom. With every breath, you become part of the great breathing of Gaia.
for this time of meditation, nothing to do, nothing to be done but to observe calmly, with appreciation, with tenderness, this life that flows through us. Nanahan called this gem of this moment. Hello. The Hindu mystics often go, I am that. Tatvamasi. Yes, Tatvamasi. Yes. So thank you. What a wonderful way to begin our day together. Of what we, for me at least, it's so easy to be oblivious of this great treasure of the elements of life self-organizing into moment-by-moment miracle of our existence. And I'd like to continue with that uh, opening us up to the gratitude for what is here. And just as we uh, experienced just now the how wonderful to be a body made of the four elements and we have that in common with all that is and then uh, here's a practice it's very different we're going to be Uh, looking at each other and we're going to be using our voice we're going to be talking but it also uh, opens us to gratitude and it's the gratitude for uh, grounding us in what is uh, distinctive in our experience each one of us has been uh, walking on this earth 
through the cities, through the countryside, through relationships, through families. Each one of us has been a gift for this time from the ancestors. Each one of us an ancestor for those to come after us. We're going to just call our... uh, I'd like to share this with you. So let's stand up. (coughs) And um, the chairs can be moved, can they not? Yes. Yeah. So when we sit down, let's just stretch while we're at it. Oh, just reaching. Oh, for apples just out of reach. Oh, oh. Why does this get harder? And and move our hips around in a circle, one direction, oops, and then the other direction. Now, what we're going to do when we sit back down, we're going to be, and this will take a swift alacrity, ingenuity, creativity, and attention. We're going to be sitting down facing one other person. So whether you're sitting on Zafu on the floor or on a chair, and you've got the whole room to use. So you will, if you're a chair sitter, you can turn your chair just to see, to decide whom you will be Get, make an agreement. Your eyes meet a person to look around. Let your eyes meet with someone that you're going to be interacting with. I'll interact with you. Okay. Okay. And then the next step is to place yourselves in a sitting position on the floor or on a chair where you're facing. That means you can move the chair out to the side turn it around to face the other and you will do find you're doing that with great speed and creativity right now <laughs> okay <laughs> does anybody uh Need a partner? Is anybody partner less? Okay, come. You can be with him then. Okay. Anybody else need a partner? Okay, sir? You can. Well, but he doesn't have anything. Wait. So you could sit on two chairs there. Good, this is excellent. So we continue with what is an opening move uh, in the work that reconnects and in every major uh, spiritual tradition is that for being glad to be alive, glad to be alive. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, that's the very first move you do is, oh, I have here in a human body. That is a rare and beautiful thing. 
and they're very a human life that's you think the human life is rare and precious on our turtle island on this continent our native people the indigenous ones in all their forms if they have by and large put thanksgiving as the first move they make the words that come before all else they say in any meeting of import you do give thanks so this is a form of this and it's a form of this where we use a process we call open sentences and it is a form that has grown up in the last year where we have uh, this current president and sometimes say what do i have to be thankful for uh with the present regime in the white house now you might find that that's fine with you but so this is the gratitude that springs from gratitude for what the inner resources that you have received in this lifetime and that'll come through in these open sentences so here's how it works now you're facing your partner and just tap them quickly on the knee good the first tapper is partner a and the other is partner b and partner a when i'm going to speak an incomplete sentence and you are going to repeat it and then keep on talking whatever comes to your mind and partner b what you do is you say nothing but just listen attentively supportively this is not a conversation your turn comes next okay there'll be several of these open sentences and that the key here where what makes it juicy for you particularly is to avoid generalizations and speak about particulars because that's where the energy is that's where the interest is so for example if i were to give you an open sentence this for breakfast this morning i had and you partner a would just repeat it and say well for breakfast this morning i had some food <laughs> boring no you want to get into the details for anything you want to talk about isn't that so all right so partner a you'll be giving a different one now not your breakfast inner resources that i draw from my family and my ancestral lineage are inner resources in me from my family and ancestral lineage are go
That's good. So when the bell rings, the chimes go, you just don't stop in mid-sentence. Just finish what you were saying. And you will also want to sit close enough together so that you can really attend. I see some of you are kind of having to speak across space. So, uh, partner B, your turn with that. Well, inner resources that I draw from my family and ancestral lineage are Okay, for the second open sentence, we'll start with partner B. Some inner resources that I draw from venturing into other traditions and other cultures are Resources that I draw from having ventured into other traditions and cultures are some of them.
So partner A, you have a go with that now. Some inner resources that I have drawn from other traditions and other cultures are... Here's another. You'll start with this, partner A. Some inner resources that I have gained from difficulties, failures, and losses are, I'll repeat that, some inner resources that I have gained from Difficulties, failures, and losses are...
That was A, right? And B hasn't done that yet, right? Yes or no? I mean, no, he hasn't. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so partner B. Some inner resources that I have gained through difficulties, failures, and losses are... Did you have enough time? No. No? Okay. Take take an Yes. Take another minute. I'll ring again. And this last one, well, starting with B. Inner resources that I have gained from uh, responsibilities I've undertaken and tasks I have done. You want to hear that again? No, you got it, right? Resources I've gained from the tasks and responsibilities I've accepted.
And now, lastly, partner A. That's yours. Strengths, inner resources, rather, inner resources that I have gained through the tasks and responsibilities I've assumed are... Let's just take a moment to thank your partner for the sharing and the listening. And maybe you could share your name and uh, introduce yourselves. So you're gonna send them out? Uh, yeah. I think it's this could send this could if they go out for fifteen minutes or twenty minutes, that could count as their break. Because if we want to do the that would give us enough time to do the truth mandala and threesomes. We're we're okay. Yeah, no. Thank you for. Oh yeah, it was wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. His name is Abram. Wonderful. So maybe some people are going out. Maybe you want to announce that.
So if you would turn your attention to the whole group. And if there are, if you have any reflections about what we just did as a whole group, would you care to, yeah, would you care to uh, share them with the whole group? Are you taking, yeah. Oh, you're going to run it. Okay. Yes. Clarity, clearness. It just felt like the sharing process was very clearing of energy that had been stuck, you know, held. Clearing. Clearing. Yeah. Thank you. Difficult, difficult times. We like company. And we need company. And we need company, yes. I was struck by um, the second question being inner resources that we found from venturing to other traditions. Following the first question of inner resources that we found from our own families and traditions, um, as I spoke about the second question, I realized that in my journey toward... um, venturing out into other, let's say, religions or spiritual traditions, finding certain resources that then I found again in my original traditions as I get closer to the universal essence of spirituality, realizing that um, they existed in both all along, which was really neat. Good. I often don't hear. Right. It's okay, but... if the rest of the people are yeah, please okay. speak up when you're when you have the mic. Speak right into the microphone head. Um, it's funny. I didn't hear the word traditions in that first question, I, or that first sentence starter. I heard uh, that's fam- right. It wasn't just... family and ancestral lineage. Yeah, and what was interesting to me. Um, is I discovered through the second sentence starter um, that there was just one person in my family that kind of sowed some seeds that then sprouted in me and motivated me to move into discovering other ancest- uh, other. Traditions and cultures, venturing into other traditions and cultures. So even though my ancestral lineage and family was actually very distant in a way from where I've wound up, there was still this thread, there was this through line from them to me to here. You mentioned the 
challenging times that we're in and this felt fortifying because there are so many sources of inner strength and resilience that you put us in touch with so it kind of helps build us up for confronting what we're dealing with Mm. yes Uh, what struck me was the commonality of our experiences in, you know, when you go deeper and deeper, then you meet the other person uh, in a very common place. Mm-hmm. That's very uh, comforting. Mm-hmm. So for me, it wasn't so much what was said, um, the specific inner resources that were just touched upon. It was where it came from and that there was a, a depth, there was a level of intimacy that I experienced with my partner. And uh, that's what was most meaningful for me. So just piggy, piggybacking on that, I came with my husband, and you know we talk all the time, we're together all the time, um, and we have a very open, we're very honest with each other, but we don't really sit and look at each other and really listen in that way, like ever. And so, <laughs> and so it was, it was beautiful, you know, to see his openness to me and to feel that for him. So I'm really grateful for that experience. I remember uh, doing open sentences at, at, uh, on a college campus, and, it's, and my son showed up. And uh, it was I, when he sat down in front of me, because there wasn't another chair, I was horrified. <laughs> and because I thought, because I was the, I was the facilitator for the whole group, and I thought, if, if he starts talking to me, or I, I, can't, I will be in tears. I can't. So the whole time I said, I'm pretending I'm on the radio. I will not cry. <laughs> but it is. It's so powerful to go um, do it with your precious ones at home. Yeah. Yeah, um, what this reflection is having me be more aware of is the, reminds me a little bit of the beautiful way you began the program about the multifaceted jewel because the constancy of inner resources, whether it's lineage, difficulties, accomplishments, um, I just feel this coherence and consistency about what continues to grow in me and the emphasis on that through and with and because of all of these various facets of living. Thank you for that. Yes. I, I take comfort for that in the situation I'm in right now. That feels so uh, reassuring to me. Yes. You tell 
and you move on when you're ready. Okay. You see people have their hand up. There was one, yeah, there, one more. What I appreciated was that they were very um, positive reminders of things I don't um, think about that, that are very helpful and positive. And it was just a wonderful way to experience um, those inner resources and, and have appreciation for them. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, usually uh, we're talking about our failings and our missteps, and uh, we forget. We forget that we're exactly who we are supposed to be and uh, doing, doing the good work that we're supposed to be doing. We could... The universe is exactly as it should be and could use a little improvement. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a good thing you're here. Yeah. Um, when we first uh, got in the car this morning from <clears throat> coming from Oakland and Berkeley, where we live, um, we thought it was cold and maybe too cold to walk, but being here on the land, we both said we, we have to let people go out and and experience uh, the world, the nature here. We're so blessed in having this particular little, this little pocket of land protected from the freeway. And, um, so I'm going to invite you to go for a walk, but not a walking meditation where you pay close attention to the movement of your legs or feet. I don't know if you've ever been to a retreat where they're doing walking meditation and Looks like Night of the Living Dead that everybody. <laughs> but we're going to invite you to go out and go for a walk. What could be simpler? To go for a walk and when, when you notice and make this the object of your uh, attention as you walk, the environment, if something catches your attention, uh, maybe go up to it. it makes you more curious what's going on here uh, something that awes you what what touches your heart out there uh, any sim- any uh, resemblance of any reflection of being human that you see in the natural world i mean we 're in the natural world, but in the in the world of uh, other species. Um, we'll just, we'll do that for about 20 minutes. You can uh, use the bathroom maybe at the beginning of our 20 minute break, 25 minute break, or at the end. So it'd be good if we could be back here in 30 minutes. In we, yeah, so back in this room. Can we have a 30. bell rung? Yeah, we'll, we can have a bell rung. I, I just want to read you Briefly, Chief Seattle, I'm sure you've, you've read this before, but every part of the earth is sacred to my people. Every shining pine needle, every sandy shore, every mist in the dark woods, every meadow, every humming insect, all are holy. 
We know the sap that courses through the trees as we know the blood that runs through our veins. We're part of the earth and the earth is part of us. The perfumed flowers are our sisters. The bear, the deer, the great eagle, these are our brothers. The rocky crests, the berries in the meadow, the body heat of the pony, and the people all belong to the same family. All belong to the same family. Now, we've proven it. The the evolutionary scientists have proven it. We're all descended from the same single-celled beings. I think we should, if we're going to do some ancestor worship, we should (laughs) worship the the first living being, who I've I've named Una. (laughs) Why not? So, enjoy your walking, and we'll... The bell will ring and we'll meet back here in a half hour.
So would anyone like to share just a couple uh, sharings of your experience in the world out there? That world over out there? Yes. Uh, yeah, a couple things that... Uh, closer to my mouth. <laughs> a couple of things that um, resonated with me was the first, of, somewhat paraphrasing uh, Wes, about how perfect everything is um, in the universe and just how thinking about how all of those... Um, species out there are perfect in the environment after billion, you know, being influenced by billions of years of evolution, of just how they're perfectly for their time and place right now. The other thing that I keep thinking about is the interconnected of all of this life, this web of life that we're in. And something that I've just learned recently about how um, trees and how their roots are interconnected with each other and how um, larger trees actually share nutrients with smaller saplings that are nearby. So just thinking about that whole interconnectedness and how we're all parts of this, and, and anything that affects one portion of it affects another. Beautiful. Thank you. So I... Um... I just noticed the surfaces of things and how it kind of felt like my skin is a surface like the surfaces out there. And so I was noticing on rocks, um, the texture is the lichen and the, the various, you know, spreckly parts of rocks, which I have lots of spreckles and freckles, you know, that kind of thing. And um, <laughs> the, the, the trees with the moss, you know, the little bit of, you know, hair on the arms and that kind of a thing. And, and also um, just noticing the... The solar collectors, you know, and how we're also, so that's not a natural thing, but it comes from, you know, the natural ingenuity that, you know, we have uh, to be able to use that resource. But I, I, just, I just felt like there was a way in which I felt very connected to everything around me, just physically and, you know, from, from the heart. So, Beautiful. thank you. That was really a nice prompt. Thank you. We're all solar collectors. <laughs> yeah. I... <clears throat> I always enjoy the outdoors, but whenever we do this exercise here, I always get worried about the people who aren't aware of the danger of ticks. And it makes me nervous to see the people walking around brushing against the plants because I know if they don't check themselves and if they do get a bite, it could be really awful. And sometimes I just feel like I'm the mommy of the world and I've often gone up to people to say, are you, are you checking yourself for ticks? Do you know about the ticks here? So that's just, this time I didn't go up to anyone. I restrained myself. <laughs> However, you have our ear right now. Yeah. So is there anything uh, in a sentence you would like us to remember to do when we have a little privacy? Please check yourself, especially where your clothes have been brushing against the plants, if you've been out among brushing against them, because that's how they get on you. They hang out on the little tips at the end of the plant, and as you walk by, they brush off. If I could add to that, the first 24 hours of finding a tick is safer than not. It's not a guarantee. So checking sooner than later uh, and fairly nakedly, you have to, to make sure that, because they like to find cool crevices amidst us. 
I, I, we I, could help each other with that if we want. I, I see it as a money-making opportunity. I, I was actually going to uh, do a little book of ticks. There's a fantastic. There's artistic. There's communistic. Realistic. It's got possibilities. Euphemistic. Right. <laughs> so I uh, okay. One more. I just got an idea. Oh. No sure. one, go ahead. Another idea. I noticed that I was uh, uh, particularly intrigued by all the various poop that was out there, <laughs> and um, how much uh, we go to where there's food. And I was reminded, because we are what we eat, and then it comes out the other end. And I was reminded that um, one place we were considering moving that was not in the Bay Area at one point, I didn't know that I could because I could not find any organic food anywhere. And then, and then we walked into this store, and there was, and I just burst into tears because there was, there was just this feeling of, uh, oh, this is home. There's organic food for me to eat, so this is home. And how much we create home around food and where we can eat and how much um, crisis there is in the world right now around people not having that food. Mm. Go ahead. Thank you all for Okay, sharing. I've just decided that we need another walk <laughs> right here. And uh, it's called, in the work that we connect, we call it the milling. So I'd like to ask you to come to the, that open part of the room. All of you. I just, that's it. (laughs) This is a very venerable practice uh, in the uh, deep ecology work, the work that reconnects, where instead of sitting down and talking, as we did before, we move around and don't talk. And so uh, we're going to imagine this open space as simply our world. And we're going to uh, move around here without speaking, except for me. (laughs) And then I will periodically... Uh, invite you to pause and stand in front of another uh, life form. This we will be greeting each other as distinctive, beautiful life forms in this world today. Actually, I think I will might be eight-legged or four-legged in here, but these will just our focus on the two-legged ones. <laughs> so. Uh, <clears throat> What we do, since we call it the milling, is we mill around. So start going, and if your eyes go a little bit out of focus, soft vision, you won't bump. And you can, in our world today, actually people are in a hurry 
as you've noticed. So you can let yourself go at a pretty good clip. If you uh, keep soft vision, you won't bump. And if you find yourself going in a stream all in one direction, <laughs> turn around and move back upstream, so to speak. Okay, let's go. Yes, because this is a pressured time in as civilizations go. And it's as time is money. And you can, that's right, so moving around at a good clip, moving back, weaving your way through all these moving obstacles. That shows us how we, because we're very important people and we have important meetings. Or we have just a quarter to put in the parking meter and we can't waste any time. And this is, we've, now just sense how you're, the shell of your body you're, is like, a, could be like a speeding bullet. You know how to weave your way through all these moving obstacles, looking neither right nor left to get your responsibility or your important presence. Thank you. Now we just decelerate a tad and slow down enough so that you can actually see the faces that you're passing. Oh, and maybe even let your eyes engage. Oh, there's somebody in there. And now you pause in front of a, another being and you stop and just take their right hand in your right hand and not saying anything, just feeling the fullness of the presence. And if you put your hand up, if you don't have another person right there, put your hand up. Oh no, if, if you put your hand up if you're alone. Okay, here. Okay, so this is not a staring contest. You just, but just take in the presence. This is a absolutely unique member of this species. There never was anyone in all history just like this. Nor will there ever be again. And this person, because this is a person, has chosen to be here today to spend this beautiful day here at Spirit Rock with us, with you. But that was a choice they made. There are plenty of other things they could have done. Caught up on their work. Gone to the movies. Stayed in bed. Taking care of someone. And they're here. Opening their heart mind to our world. In this, that's what we mean by liberation dharma. Where with the dharma and the support of the dharma, we open our heart minds to ourselves, to each other, to our world. 
self-feel just without any sense that your gratitude that this person has chosen to be here and move on. And now you find yourself again in the presence of another being and stop before them and take their hand in yours and just silently. There's so much more you can when you're not trying to talk or entertain them or impress them or anything, just to be in the presence. This is a person who is living on planet Earth, in planet Earth right now. Where there's so much happening. And this person knows about some of the things that are happening to the natural world, to the climate, to the tides of refugees. 65 million of them, I learned yesterday. And feel your own gratitude that this brother-sister being keeps his, her eyes open, their heart open to our world. even when it's dismaying to see. And take a, feel your own gratitude for this open-hearted being and bow, maybe put your hands together and bow and leave and move on. And again, you find yourself in front of another being and take both their hands in yours. <laughs> Put your hand up if you need a partner. There, okay. Here, there, good. Yeah. You cannot tell by seeing this person, the powers that are in them, the creativity, the patience, the inner resources, the rich experience, that you can be glad that it is here, here for, to be able to give to the world at this time. Because it's a hard time for many. Many of all species.
And as you take in the presence of this brother-sister being, see if you can see their, imagine seeing their parents behind them. And behind the parents, the grandparents. And then behind them, their great-grandparents, as we all have. And then by the power of your imagination, you can see streaming behind them, going back through time, a great procession of the ancestors, each one necessary for this person to be here. And then you can let yourself get it that this person, imagine that this person is all those ancestors' gifts to this time. This time when so many systems are beginning to fail, when there's so much unrest. This person can be the ancestor's gift to this time, bringing their resources, their patience, their courage, their creativity to this time. Feel your gratitude for that as you bow. So let's go back and sit down. I just, hearing you talk about the beautiful life forms that you saw outside, I wanted you to open your eyes to some of the life forms right here. The plot line of uh, the work I'm following today is that of the work that reconnects and our deep ecology work, the work that helps us break out of our isolation into our collective wisdom and power. And so this circle... It's actually a spiral because it keeps going round and round. Shows the pot line of the where we're going. We come in from this here, coming in from the east. And the first we've been, that's what we did this morning. We came from gratitude. in our walk and in our open sentences. That's our birthright, is to be glad to be here. To sense the wonder of that. And we did that right away with what Wes called to our minds as we sat together. What's the point of having a, giving a great gift if you can't even see it, if you can't feel it, if you can't know it? But we've been given so much. And so the gratitude makes us strong and it gives ground under our feet. 
for a while. <coughs> because we have to see our world fearlessly. And this gives us steadiness to do that. And what keeps us from seeing our world and being open to it? Reluctance. Not wanting to get upset. Not wanting to feel powerless. Not wanting to feel crazy. Not wanting to be depressing to other people. Not wanting to actually be present to the pain of our world. It's very important in American culture that we learn how to be with our painful experiences and and responses to what's happening to our world. Because the power holders, the culture itself, wants us to feel this is the best of all possible worlds. We're the greatest nation on earth. We have the best of everything. That's what we hear. We know that can't be really true in our lives, but, but it does make us want to put little smiley faces on everything. So that our culture and the voices of the power holders would have us uh, doubt our grief or pathologize it. And that dries us up. It separates us from our own experience, from our own authority, from our own presence. And that pathologizing of our grief, of our outrage, of our fear and dread, then that separates us from each other and from our authority. So instead of paving over our pain for the world, what we do in this chapter, this stop in the plot line, is we honor it. We honor our pain for the world. We honor our pain for the world by respecting it and speaking it. And seeing that it is a wholesome, natural response to the suffering of our world, of other species, of the soil, the poisoning, the deadening of the seas, and for our other brother-sister humans. So we're going to do a practice right here for this. And we're going to do it with each other. And we're going to do it this time sitting in threes. And you're going to do sort yourselves into threes very quickly. Like right now. <laughs> so the chairs move. I wish they had more cushions. I never thought of that. I think there are more. Maybe.
So when you when you uh, separate into threes, it's kind of a group IQ test because it doesn't work if you get into a pair first. You have to just coalesce in a three. Oh, good. There are more cushions. Anybody who wants to be on the floor, see where Wes is? We need a third. What? We need a third. We, okay. Okay. I'm a third. There's, you get Wes, you lucky. Now, if you want to give yourself a, a little space, you might just see that you're not moving away from, you know, you're uh, somebody of a, from another threesome, threesome isn't talking into your ear. So you might just move a little apart and move closer together. Put your heads together, close together. I think that you get an A plus in this IQ test. You are unusually, I think, <laughs> to leap, go so quickly into threes. Okay, now just put your attention to me for a minute. Stay where you are. Um, there is a, a little ritual in uh, the work that we connect that's been with us for uh, almost 30 years. And uh, it is, uh, it started actually uh, in, in Germany and is called the Truth Mandala. And in this Truth Mandala, which we could do with everybody participating, we're going to do a mini form of it in our threesome. And in the Truth Mandala, our three... Uh, Responses like they're actually objects that res, rep, that represent them. There is uh, some dried leaves that represent our grief. So just picture them. Picture them. Um, there's the grief, sorrow in the midst of between your knees, and then. For another thing that we feel a lot and shut up about is our fear, the dread of what can come upon us, of knowing even, fear of what can happen to our world, to ourselves, to our children, to our children. But that fear has also been encouraged by the power holders in our country. It's a way that um, political leaders can make people obedient and passive is to make them scared. So there between your knees is fear. It's, it's in the shape of a stone because it makes your heart feel hard, cold, small. And then another feeling that we have of our pain for the world is outrage, anger. 
anger or outrage. And we've off, often have that represented by a stick. We're going to give ourselves an experience of that, of what it, how we can hear, listen to the others speak, and let them hear us. We will go clockwise around our little circle of three. When it comes to you, you will just pick up one of them, the grief or the fear or the anger. And you will be able to just say it knowing that it is a natural, normal, wholesome response to the suffering, often deliberate infliction of suffering in our world. And then we always, when we do the truth mandala of which you are having us a little uh, experience, we remember that each of these experiences, each of these emotional responses has roots. Sometimes we call them, those of you who are familiar with Tibetan Buddhism, we see it as the tantric, the other side of these painful feelings. The other side of, or source side, or tantric side of grief is what? It's love. You only mourn what you love. When you speak your grief, you are also speaking indirectly your love. For fear, there's so much fear abroad at the moment. Even though this is a fear-phobic society, people are afraid to be seen as afraid. So to speak your fear... The tantric side of that is courage. You're manifesting your courage. And to speak the anger, and anger's gotten such a bad rap in the patriarchal cultures. Sometimes even Buddhist teachers will talk about anger as being one of the three poisons, but it isn't. It's hatred, and anger and hatred are very different. So the tantric side or source side of the experience of anger is passion for justice. Okay, what's the, what's the tantric side of grief? Right. What's the tantric side of fear? What's the tantric side of anger? Okay, good. I'm going to ring the bell. And when, as, it's, as it dies out, you will start in each of your circles. And you will know when you're ready to speak. You will speak for about a minute, real short. You don't have to go on. But you will speak what it is. That's something that you carry in your heart for what is happening.
in our world as you hold the grief, the fear, and the anger. And if you don't know that it's your turn, then it'll be the person geographically closest to me. So just a few sentences, because it'll come around again. And then let the next person and the next person, and it may go around this dear little threesome several times. Welcome to the Truth Mandala. You need a third? Here I come.
Now it's on. And we'll move this over here. Yeah. Take another couple of minutes and I'm going to ask people to move from their chairs into a circle and then we can uh, just turn sideways and rub each other's shoulders and back or then turn the other way and do some sounding. Okay, but that's, yeah, that's what's feeling. Yeah. Okay, it, it might be a little bit much trying to see how that's going to work. Yeah. Just that we, we, we're so many. Yeah. We're more than 60. So we can make a circle outside the, ch- well. Okay, sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna open up the windows. I think it's getting stuffy. Okay, let's do that too. Do you have another suggestion? Just to, I, we only have on. about fifteen minutes. Yeah, fifteen whole minutes. Yeah, fifteen whole ones. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Uh, that maybe some sounding too. That yeah. would be. I think I'll have them sound before they get up. Because so the sound will be that ah, uh, that because we've spoken for so many people, that uh, the common syllable ah, uh, yeah, release, and it uh, also stands for uh, those without a voice, uh-huh. all that. Okay. And then after that, spend some. We'll get into a circle, and then uh, maybe there's something you can, while we're um, massaging each other, there's something you can read or sing. You could put that flute music on. No, it's not. It's too. F- yeah. No, I want something more present. Okay. I can read something, or yeah, um, I can. I'll, I'll, I'll do a, a couple of Rilke sonnets. There's a sound
that we uh, give at the beginning of our truth mandala and the end that sort of holds it. It's a seed syllable. Uh, ah. And it stands sort of for all that uh, who have no voice. Because we have just now been speaking for others who have no voice. We've been speaking our own, but also we've been, there have been others speaking through us in a way, you can imagine what, what we're calling, we're putting into words conditions that affect so many others. So when we speak, dare to honor our pain for the world, we find that we're weaving us together in the collective. So we let's just sound and let it go on for a while. Ah, 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 invite you now first of all to thank and bless the two others the the threesome in your circle and then to come and we'll make a uh, larger circle all 60 some of us um, that will embrace this uh, the chairs that will just come out and stand in one big circle after you Break your small circle and bless it. (laughs) So we'll bring the circle right in front of this. These steps. There'll be a bunch of chairs in the middle. But before we break for lunch, we're going to see ourselves in one circle. up there we can't quite see each other all we can we can work move back a little bit The beautiful two-leggeds in this circle 
have been speaking in truth for themselves and for others in our this moment of our history. Our hearts cannot be caged. When we let our hearts open and speak the truth of what grieves, frightens, enrages us, we are finding our connections with each other. We are experiencing perhaps the next step in our evolution in life, which is to find what Thich Nhat Hanh calls our interbeing. That's his name for the central teaching of the Lord Buddha, dependent co-arising. For many generations, that was referred to as emptiness. Emptiness of a separate self. But in the very last book that that wonderful Vietnamese and Master Thich Nhat Hanh wrote, it's, he's still alive, certainly, but it's the last book he wrote before his stroke. Uh, he retranslated the Heart Sutra so that it could be very clear that when we are saying there's no separate self, it doesn't mean we don't exist. It means that we exist in a far fuller way than our cultures have told us have encouraged us with all the exaltation of winning, winning and not losing and our competing. This step of our evolution for which each of you is playing a part is in finding our interbeing, our collective consciousness. And we're doing it at a time when we are discovering that our planet is alive. There's a Gaia consciousness uh, calling for us, you might say. Now, I had thought that we were so many we could sit. Let's see if we can make a step forward. Not us, because we'll fall down. But I'd love us to turn around so we can give each other... See, turn to your right... And give each other a little shoulder massage. <laughs> but <laughs> if you step toward the center, you shrink the circle a little. <laughs> now surely we can be invented here. Surely you can, you can. Toward the center. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> I don't have to do anything. Right. To cook supper. <laughs> Should we go and connect? We're going to go.
So, uh, as for a, um, just to conclude uh, this portion of our day together, uh, I'd like to uh, recite a poem. There's a, a German lyric poet that I, I have found very nourishing of my faith in the interconnectedness of all things. You know what his name is? Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, so um, I'm going to uh, tell you a, a sonnet that I, uh, with my co-translator, uh, Anita Barrows, we were working on this, one of those, the last sonnet to Orpheus, um, at the time that our country, the United States, invaded Iraq in 2003 in March. You remember that? Remember where you were? Remember how you felt? Remember the huge demonstrations all over the world and the great cities? Well, Anita and I, we were just uh, feeling so dark. And this, at, at the time that we came to this last sonnet of the sonnets to Orpheus, which were written in the 1920s, close before the poet's death. He, he died young. He was just barely 50. That's very young to me. Um, so uh, it's helped us so much. And since then, uh, I would like to give it to you. Quiet friend who has come so far. Feel how your breathing makes more space around you. Let this darkness be a bell tower and you the bell. And as you ring, what batters you becomes your strength. What's it like, this intensity of pain? Ah, if the drink is bitter, turn yourself to wine. Move back and forth into the great changes waiting. In this uncontainable night, be the mystery at the crossroads of your senses. The mystery discovered there. And if the world has ceased to hear you, say to the silent earth, I flow, and to the rushing water speak, I am. I'm going to say it one more time because I want to say that my favorite line, can you guess what the, my favorite line is about the bell tower? Let this darkness, let any mystery be a bell tower. You the bell, and as you ring, what batters you becomes your strength. 
quiet friend who has come so far. I mean, honeys, you've been on the road a long time. You didn't, weren't born just yesterday or even just in this lifetime. They're what the story you're part of goes back, back, back through time. Just ask Wes Nisker. Back to that for early cell. And before that, back to the Nova. Maybe back to the first ma- makings of the galaxies. Quiet friend who has come so far. Feel how your breathing makes more space around you. Let this darkness be a bell tower and you the bell. And as you ring, what batters you becomes your strength. So move back and forth into the changes. And then the next line really makes me think of Vipassana practice that you learn here. When you are sitting and direct your attention to the crick in your knee or your neck or your sleepiness. What's it like, this intensity of pain? Get curious about it. Don't be frightened of it. Just get curious. Then, if the drink is bitter, turn yourself to wine. In this uncontainable night, be the mystery at the crossroads of your senses. The mystery you discover there. That's you. And if the world has ceased to hear you, say to the silent earth, I flow, and to the rushing water speak, I am. Now you say that, I am. So, we have lunch now. Is there any other, is there announcement about that from our keepers? And we'll, I was just going to say, and we'll meet back here at one thirty or shortly thereafter, and resume. Don't try to walk it. Walk to the deli. Any other announcements? Okay, see you in an hour.
Hello? Am I on? Are you ever? Ever. Well, usually at a retreat or a day long, right after lunch, people come in and fall asleep. So I'd like to keep you awake by offering you some a little bit of entertainment. No cover charge. You just have to stay awake. And if you get, feel it, the somnolence coming on, you just stand up on one leg. <laughs> Since we were talking about this a lot this morning, I want to read a little piece that I wrote. Recently, I heard someone on the radio explaining the new crime of identity theft. And I immediately thought, yes, rob me, please. Take my identity and leave the cash. I can regard my entire Buddhist path as a matter of shifting identities. And it all started with me trying to run away from myself. The sentimental histrionic drama of meanness. The Buddha says that the false conceit of I or self is the bane of our existence. And I was indeed relieved when I began to see through the various membranes of personal identity. But what really surprised and delighted me is what I saw on the other side. It turns out I am not who I thought I was. I'm much, much more than that. And it goes on, but I've got other things I want to share with you. So, You'd like a copy of that? Okay. That's nice. Um, I was looking around for some material to use in a, in a workshop that I was offering on crazy wisdom in the world's various cultures. And I came across The Birds by Aristophanes, where the birds decide that they are in between the gods and the humans. And all they that they could uh, extract a fee for going back and forth. And all they had to do was build a wall. (laughs) And this one of them says this. Once the wall is built, we must send an embassy to Zeus and lay our grievances before him. If he denies them, if he temporizes, then you shall have a holy war. Oh, against the whole of Olympus. No more free passage for divinities in an obvious state of erection on their way to flirt with their girls. (laughs) As for mankind, you must send another bird to them, a herald to announce that from now on, since the birds are kings, the first sacrifices must be made to them. And then, if convenient only, to the Olympian gods. The birds were uh, making some wonderful distinctions there. Um, Here's a couple things I wanted to share that I find really interesting. Zeus rarely took time to flirt. (laughs) Yeah, right. It was... 
Zeus, Zeus did not take time to flirt, you know. Here's some perspective for you. All parts of the earth are built over, trampled, full of commerce. Farms and fields drive back the forests. Even rocks are cultivated. Swamps are drained. Today's towns outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere on earth are residences, peoples, governments. Human growth now so clogs the world it can barely support us. And as our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them and nature fails us. That was written by the Roman historian Terulian in 150 AD. Yeah. We never learn. Will we ever learn? You don't want to hear the cat in the hat on aging, do you? Really? <laughs> okay, well, this is just for a a few of you the cat in the hat on aging I cannot see I cannot pee I cannot chew I cannot screw oh my god what can I do my memory shrinks my hearing stinks no sense of smell I look like hell my mood is bad can you tell my body's drooping I have trouble pooping the golden years have come at last the golden years can kiss my ass. <laughs> That's wonderful. And this is this little piece, I, I don't know where I came across it, but it is primo. Maurice Sendak, author of Where, where the Wild Things Are, tells the story of a boy who wrote to him, He sent me a charming card with a drawing. I loved it. I answer all my children's letters, sometimes hastily, but this one I lingered over. I sent him a postcard and I drew a picture of a wild thing on it. I wrote, Dear Jim, I loved your card. Then I got a letter back from his mother and she said, Jim loved your card so much he ate it. (laughs) That to me was one of the highest compliments I've ever received. He didn't care that it was an original drawing or anything. He saw it, he loved it, he ate it. (laughs) Beautiful. Uh, To love like that, yes. So, you know, we went out on that walk and we were looking at things in the world and sometimes the haiku poets, that's sort of like what they do. They... They take a moment's experience that's awesome or dramatic or something that's, that that fertilizes their their world, their imagination, or their their uh, poetry. And here are a few from Kobayashi Isa, who's my favorite haiku poet. Uh, he lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Tragic life, mother died when he was two. He had children that all died before him. But his, he kept his haiku were continually delighted, upbeat, a kind of uh, very uh, loving kind of poetry. 
And he often wrote his, his haiku poems to other species of life or about other species of life. So here's a few. If times were good, I'd ask one more of you to join me. Flies around my food. Climb Mount Fuji, O oh snail. Slowly. <laughs> Even for the emperor, the nightingale sings the same song. Who does? Even for the emperor, the nightingale sings. Oh, nightingale. Don't kill the fly. Look, it's begging you, wringing its hands and feet. Even among the insects, some can sing, some can't. <laughs> Where there are humans, you'll find flies and Buddhas. One human being, one fly in a large room. I'm going out, flies. Relax. Make love. <laughs> Mosquito at my ear. Does it think I'm deaf? <laughs> out from the darkness, back into the darkness, the affairs of the cat. Listen to the frogs. All night they talk about sex. <laughs> oh, owl, make some other face. It's springtime. <laughs> and I think these are my two favorites. In these latter-day degenerate times, cherry blossoms everywhere. Or this one. This world of ours, walking on the roof of hell, gazing at flowers. Beautiful, beautiful poetry. Well, that's your show for tonight, for this afternoon. Thank you. Um, you don't want to offer us a song you were singing in the car. It might be difficult. I could I could give it a whirl. It might be difficult in terms of uh, tune. Okay, you can think about it, and it could okay. be our finale. <laughs> okay. okay. So, uh, giving you some experience of the work that reconnects, we come around the spiral. Whoops. I didn't put the other stations in. There are four stations. So one of the things you find out here with gratitude, it's like finding ground under your feet, finding the uh, what all, all the other critters know how to do better than humans, I think, which is just to be uh, ready to be here without complaint. And that is sort of, as I say, our birthright to feel 
it's okay to be here. It's good to be here. But <clears throat> the uh, and seeing that we can accept our uh, and not pathologize our because for one thing that just makes pharmaceutical industry so powerful and rich. No, just so we'll handle our own grief, our fear, our anger. We don't need to. Uh, enrich the big pharma over that because we know that there is this tantric side in addition to the fact that when we open our heart we make such discoveries many one of them is that the heart that breaks open can hold the whole universe it's, it is that big so we learned about on the way to that, that grief is uh, a doorway into what? And fear gives us exercise in. And anger and outrage, we can see that a lot of that is our passion for justice. So that we're really much bigger than we thought that are certainly that we get from our the culture that we're living in and so the we enjoy that in the um, next stop stopping place next section of the work of the spiral which is seeing with fresh eyes so these could be like eyes of your ancestors or eyes of the future ones. It could be new eyes, old eyes, but it is a transformed vision. And it's helped a lot by our imagination. So I love this station of the spiral because it's such a romp. You get to play with uh, ecology, deep ecology. That's where you have the council of all beings. You can step aside from your human identity only and allow yourself to be spoken through for other life forms. Also, this is the place for uh, playing around with systems theory, playing around with Gaia theory, and it's also a wonderful, it's become more and more refreshing if not also outright seductive to me, and that is the deep time work. And so I thought I'd offer you this afternoon, because I enjoy it and need it too, is to uh, a practice in deep time. Because our culture right now is being dripped, overshadowed by... Uh, Institutions, organizations, we'll name it, uh, corporations that are, because of their financial arrangements, their rules, is short-term thinking, how fast you can make money fast, and uh, that this quarter is more than the last quarter and more than the same quarter a year ago, and you can't uh, jeopardize that by thinking ahead to save this species or that species. It's the 
Uh, and we can talk about triple bottom line, but it's usually it's the profit in terms of money that wins out. So how can we really grow up to be worthy of this beautiful life-giving, life-bearing planet of the mysteries of life uh, without uh, ex- stepping out of shaking off some of this short-term, short-term thinking. And um, the doorway into this for me, and it has a little parable to it, that when you face something hard, often the rewards can be very great. And this was... 30 years ago, I became, through no great nobility of my own, simply riveted by the problem of nuclear waste. And I'm not a nuclear scientist, but I would certainly knew enough to know that this material, we're making mountains of it, it's huge quantities of it as we make nuclear energy and nuclear weapons. And uh, this has... Uh, a longevity now of not just quarter million like plutonium, not just millions, but billions as with depleted uranium. So I was saying, how can we, how can we help the future ones know what to do with this? How can we just leave it for them? And because of this question, never be afraid. Let me just tell you, don't be afraid to ask yourself questions. Because I found myself um, wondering how how can we take care of this nuclear waste? How can we, whom should we ask? And I actually went around and, and went to both industry and government and places like Los Alamos and the waste isolation treatment plant to ask what the plans were. But nobody knew anything except bury it in the earth, which is if the earth were a safe deposit vault. And the one they made has had to be locked up, closed anyway. So that was the germ of the deep time work. And we began playing with, identifying with uh, both ancestors and future beings in order to expand our temporal context. And in the process, a group of us who for about four years uh, met many times a year, about every five, six weeks, to uh, study and play with, and we would actually do uh, experiential interactive work to... uh, try to uh, cough up some creativity here. So the practice that I'm going to, it's a generated deep time work. And uh, so this is how we're going to do it. You're going to have the experience of speaking for or to uh, a people of... Um, couple of centuries in the future. Now to do that, we're going to first do a little 
a physical work. Uh, this is the room we're in. And I'm here. Here's, here's Wes. He's here, too. And so the room is like this. And we are going to move the chairs so that they are facing each other. See, that's a chair where you sit it facing each other. Can you see that? It's a little small, isn't it? You're going to have these chairs oriented in this direction. Okay? And each chair will be facing another chair. They'll be in pairs. Any questions? No, facing each other. So, but they can't. And you want have space between the chairs because you're going to walk around in between. Don't have them in a row. Does that make sense? And that can also be, we, only, we don't want any more seats than there are people. So if you, uh, but we'll, we'll find that out. We'll find out what's too much. So if you want to have some floor-sitting ones, you can too. You now have three minutes to arrange our seating. It's going this direction, this axis. How, how, is, how's the, how's the temperature in the room? Are you comfortable? A little hot? What? We got the windows open. Okay. Good. Very good. So they can be staggered all over the room. Just this one direction. This, this in this direction. So have them uh, either facing, they must, each chair must face one of these side walls. Those are, that's it. Just have them in, yeah. So let's remove the chairs that are not being sat in. There's like that one. Okay. Okay, now you all sit down. And we'll see who needs more seats. You're... Orient yourselves more in this YouTube. Um. That's it. That's it. Very good. Okay, so 
I think you can make a little, um, from the people who are right next to your side, give yourself a little more room so that you aren't overheard. Art. Okay. So we now have it that there are no floor sitters. That's fine. What? <laughs> oh, there are. These, okay. Aside from you two, let's just move these out of the way. Okay. Those are the only floor sitters. Does everybody facing somebody? You orient yourselves over uh, along this. We're going in this direction, so you just turn a little bit. See the way they are. That's it. And you get facing her, but just that's it. Okay. Thank you very much. So now we begin. Every chair that's here is being occupied. That's good. Only two floor sitters. So this is actually a deep time ritual. And uh, so we will begin it by sounding the seed syllable, ah. But we're not right there. We have to have an explanation first. So this is the explaining part. All of you who are sitting facing the sunny windows, that's half of you, you are yourselves on November 5th, 2017, planet Earth. You are yourselves now. And all of you with your backs to that sunny uh, windows, looking at the blank wall there, you are a human of the seventh generation from now. That means roughly 200 years. That means you're living in uh, 2217 thereabouts. Got it? Okay. So we are going to meet across this span of seven generations or 200 years. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that by going to a point outside of time. And we get to that point by sounding the seed syllable, ah. Once you're there, I will be guiding you so you don't need to remember everything I'm saying. That just will familiarize you. You will see each other in your roles. And those who have their uh, backs to the sunny windows facing those, you are the future ones. And you will be seen as 
I am a member of the seventh generation from now. And you will speak as that. You will experience yourself as that. So this gives you wonderful practice in developing your moral imagination, which is very important for the ongoingness of life. Once we're there, then the future one has something to say and to ask of the present day being. And that will be heard as coming, you will recognize that I'm speaking for all the future ones. But you will understand that it's coming from the future one in front of you. And you future ones will experience that it is you asking, saying those words and asking that question. I'll be speaking for you. And then the present day being, who are all the present day beings? Raise your hand. Good. You will then, in your own voice, answer the future being. And the future being will listen without speaking. When that is finished, and I will be giving you cues and buzzes and beeps from here, then uh, the future being, I will suggest, will uh, acknowledge what he or she has heard from the present day being, stand up and go to another chair for a future one. And the present day beings stay where they are. Got it? Got it? And then that happens again. There's something that the future one asks that's in my voice, I speak for them, and the present day one answers in their own voice. This happens one more time. Again, shifting. And so everybody has a chance to talk to three different people of the other generation. And then uh, we will, it will finally, the future one gets a chance to talk on their own. And the present day one just listens. And then we come back to the real time, the same way we left it, by sounding ah, and with our imagination traveling back. So now you see, you don't need to remember all that because I'm going to be uh, guiding you, but that's an overview, okay? Are you ready to go? You know who you are? Or will be once we get to that point outside of time? So we have to really... Move with great strength using the seed syllable ah. Here we go. Buckle up. Ah. 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 We need a lot more steam. We're there. 
we are now at a point outside of time. And as you look at each other, you want to be sure that you're sitting close enough so you can really attend. You, present day ones, you see the person in front of you and you know that they are of the seventh generation from now roughly around 2217. Oh, I have to tell you one thing. Back up a little bit. Our conductor here forgot something. But it's okay. This process and asking you to take part in it, I have to ask you to grant two assumptions. The first assumption is that there will be humans living in earth in 200 years. Now, some of you may have in your computations and concerns figured that that's unlikely, near-term extinction and all that. But for this exercise, I'm asking you to grant that there will be some humans still living. Uh, so will you grant that? Okay. And the second is that these future humans have a collective memory of what is happening in our time in 2017. Now this, the implications of this are huge because this means that there are institutions for conveying that memory, whether they be libraries or universities or what have you, storytellers. And that means that they're not all scattered living in caves, that they are, have a self-organized community. And that means that if they have that, then the, uh, they have moved beyond the uh, corporate capitalism that is calling the shots or the industrial growth society they're calling the shots in our, in 2017. In other words, what many people among us, I, for example, call the great turning, that shift to a life-sustaining, the transition to a life-sustaining culture, society, has actually happened. Now, it doesn't mean how healthy they are or how comfortable they are, but it does mean that they have found a simple, maybe very simple, but it's a sustainable way of life. Are you willing to grant that? Yes. Okay. Now we're, we're back again. We've just come to this point outside of time. And the future one is speaking. And just look at the person in front of you, the future one, your present people, and just... Uh, understand that they're asking this of you. Ancestor, I'm amazed to be seeing you. I've heard so much about you all my life. Ever since I was little, everybody, parents and grandparents and teachers talking about what happened back then in the early years of the 21st century of what we call the great turning. And... Uh, 
I've served so much, but you know, I never thought I'd see the living face of someone who is living in this time. So I, I, I am so glad I want to ask you something. You see what I'm hearing about the time you're living in is hard to believe. They tell us, for example, that there are some people, a lot of them actually, who are richer than the richest ancient kings. While there are billions of people who are, don't have enough food or clean water. And they asked to tell us too that there are bombs being built that can wipe out whole cities at a time. Oh, we know about that. But they say you know about it while it's happening, while they're being built. And they tell us that in the time that you're living, that there are whole species of plant and animal life going extinct. Well, we know about that too, but they say you know about it while it's happening. So what I want to ask you is, is it true what they're telling us? And if it is true, then what's that like for you to be living in a world like that? I'm listening. And so now you present day beings, you answer the questions of the uh, queries of the future one before you. And you future ones just listen. surprised well I guess less so
will have a few comments. Thank you. Now, just continue uh, your communication, your present day ones, but now without words below the level of spoken words, the way we're learning to do it between distant generations. Thank you. Now, you future ones, without words, just with gesture, acknowledge what you've heard from the present day beings and take your leave and go rise and go find another seat for future beings. Now each of you is facing a new face and you uh, new be- uh, you, you uh, future beings you're sitting down you sat down in front of someone who is living in the early 21st century actually just is still living in 2017 and you present day beings You see this person before you as belonging to the seventh generation 200 years from now. And you will understand that these words I speak are coming directly from their heart-mind to you. Oh, ancestor, I greet you. I never expected in all my life that I would see the living face of someone who is actually taking part in the great tourney, the transition from the industrial growth society that was destroying our world to the life-sustaining society. But there's things, so I've heard a lot about what you did. It's sort of like, uh, you just wouldn't believe how many lessons are being drawn from that, even though we sure we still have problems, you better believe. But 
We're not destroying our world at the clip that was happening. But what I want to ask you, they don't tell us. Oh, I'm not asking you what you did in the great turning. Do you know that I was in a play about what you and your friends were doing for the great turning? No, it's not. I know what you did. But what I want to ask is how did you get started? Maybe you even haven't gotten started yet. But I'm assuming that you have, given your, the lines on your face, your wise look, your uh, vitality. I must figure you are taking part in the great turning. And what I want to know or what, if you can remember, they don't tell us this, but I want to know what were the first steps you took Because it must have been quite a moment of realization for you to get it that the whole culture was on the wrong track. And for you to allow yourself to see that and who the people you chose to talk to, the first steps you took, the first actions or things you signed, the first petitions, what what you started to learn. So can you tell me, uh, Ancestor, about how you at the very beginning got involved in the great turning to a life-sustaining society? I'm listening. And that's true. You future ones now, you just listen.
Now again, just let the words uh, drop below the level of sound and continue to communicate without words as we're learning to do with people in distant generations. Thank you. And now, you future ones, you've heard what this ancestor of 2017 has said, and you acknowledge that wordlessly, and you take your leave now and go find another place for a future being to sit. So future, you future one of 2217, you are now facing another uh, person, a human who is actually alive, living in the time of the great unraveling and the great turning. And that's 200 years before your moment of life that you're speaking from. And uh, you future, you present day ones, you see before you a future being, 2217. And they have this to say to you, which you'll hear in my voice. Oh, ancestor, I greet you.
I can still hardly believe that I get to see your living face. It's all the more surprising because all my life I have been being told by aunts and uncles and grandparents and teachers and parents about the time that you are living in. It was a time of enormous turning. It was a time of great unraveling and great turning and new ways coming to be. So we've heard so much, but there is something that they don't tell us and that is important for me to know. And it's this. Where do you find the strength to keep on doing what you're doing? To see how the life of this planet cries out to you, to face that and to bring yourself to it in so productive a way. Oh, we know what you did, but we don't know where you find the strength to do it. You know that I heard a song the other day about what you and your friends did? But they don't tell us where you find the strength. And I need to know because things aren't perfect now by any means. So that's my question. I hope you can tell me. Where do you find the strength? to keep on doing what you're doing for the great turning for people like me you'll never even meet I'm listening Do I have good medication? Yeah, but I, I am. Um, I have a salt gargling is probably the best. I don't think I. What? Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think I have an infection. I often tend. I got chilled in the night, and I, I often, with changing weather, I get chills, and it's so boring. But my throat is actually not sore at the moment.
you just had that idea about the intention thing, but you just think what, what you're called to, what you feel would be good. Even if it's just uh, sitting and still, or writing, or, you know, Now you, future ones of the seventh generation, you have heard three different ancestors. And I, we use the ancestor, that term, just right, and to anybody living before you. But you've met, heard three different ones. And as you did, there were thoughts and feelings arising in you. And now is your opportunity to share them with the one in front of you, almost as if you were talking to all three of those ancestors of 2017. So what is it in your heart-mind to say to them? And to say to them knowing that in just a couple of minutes, very few minutes, we're going to be going back, literally going back into that time of the great unraveling and the great turning and some of the hardest conditions and choices still lie ahead. And so what would you want to say to this being of that time right before they go back into what could be more demanding than anything so far. You don't know what's in your heart to say to them. And now you, present-day beings, you just listen quietly. Your future being is going to speak to you now.
That should be about a big sky now. After or, this is or the break and then the big sky. Okay. So that would be, well, well, let's talk about it. Well, we'll let this be what it is and take the break. You may want to, if, if that's, if we could just let them, oh, maybe some people came without notes. It might be good for let them write a little bit. Or if we don't do that. Um, intention work which is fine not to we can decide at the break how long is the big mind how long is the big mind do the big mind first do you want them to speak out of this experience I think they'd like to the bells for it. Thank you. Well, the time has come for us to go back to real time. And we're going to go back uh, the same way we came, by sounding the seed syllable, ah. This stands for all that has not yet been said and for those without a voice. And uh, as we go back, you future ones of the seventh generation, well, you can just shake off that identity because the truth of the matter is that you belong to the great turning too. So just on the way back, shake that off. Here we go.
good. Oh, we almost didn't make it back. Some of us, some of us got left in the next year. Okay. So thank you very much. And uh, while we're still uh, here in place, you just stay where you are for just a second or stand if you want, but just to put, turn your attention to uh, the whole room, to the whole group, so that uh, uh, in case anyone has some reflections from that experience, that little slice of deep time work um, that you would like to uh, share with the group. And when you speak, you could say whether you're a present day or future being. I am grateful to be a future being um, or to have been. I, I, can't, I can't say how, how um, relaxing and how uh, gratifying it is to, have, to be able to speak from a place of this all being okay. That like I'm, I felt I feel so lucky that I got to do that three times. So that just felt so so good. So thanks for that. Thank you. I spoke. I'm from the future, the seventh generation. I spoke at, at the end to a man named Will, whose name means volition, <laughs> action. I in speaking to one of these present day ancestors we mentioned how um, seemingly in the really in this whole story of history things have always been hard there's always been a struggle of some kind that evolves and you mentioned also as we began this exercise that there are still probably going to be problems seven generations from now different different struggles and problems but I found myself wondering does the story ever actually change has it always felt like the great turning will it always and if so what does that mean about how how we best live right now good question are, are you going to answer it no <laughs> but does anyone want to say speak to that I, I think it's, it's a beautiful pregnant uh, question uh, it certainly feels like what, at moments that what facing us now is new but the fact that there would always be something critically important to take part in, oh, then that. It's a wonderful question. And it sort of is comforting in a way. It doesn't make you feel that we've just been singled out to be. Right. Yeah. Do you want to answer that? 
I don't have an answer for it at all, but, um, but maybe a parallel thought. Um, I was 2017 three times, and it was magnificent to have the opportunity to be reminded that um, there will be 200 years from now and that this is part of a continuum that could very well be taking us someplace that will be better, um, which made this seem much more worthwhile and less isolated an event. It, it does seem more of a continuum, which I certainly have not been thinking of this time as being. So I appreciate the exercise. Thank you. I am from the future, and I admire in each of the people that I spoke to the uh, courage it takes to live day by day in that old time. (laughs) And so the other side of that is fear, which I didn't hear a lot of, but seems to me like it's the context for that courage. I ultimately got in touch with um, having a sense of there being that future person 200 years hence and that um, my, uh, my faith in that and my hope for that and my, um, my vision of the beauty of that uh, and my love for that uh, largely fuels me now. I hear you. I just want to share that um, in speaking progressively as the future generation, um, just how much my heart broke open for today's people and what they're facing just how much compassion I have for all of us. So I'm from the future, or I was from the future, and um, towards the end, my partner looked at, was looking at me and said directly to me, and we're doing this for you. And at this point, I just kind of started crying because I really felt the sense of the courage and the effort that was being put out by all of the humanity towards that future generation. And by keeping that in mind and in our heart, that's what's going to keep us going. Thank you. Beautiful. I am reminded that what gets me out a bit is that there's a child starving today and that there's another child being raped today and that there's water being poisoned today. So I'm reminded in my exhaustion and when... I have let myself get into isolation that it's it's those 
It's those who are suffering today that wake me up every morning. And so I'm very thankful for that reminder um, because it's not easy to keep going, especially as it is today in this culture. So I I just want to acknowledge everyone who's here um, in this breath of gratitude and, and to also note that there's a, there's a responsibility in that because those who are suffering the worst in this time are often called to a courage that I, few of us in this room can even comprehend. It's not even a question. It's not even a question whether to get up, you know. So I, I want to embody that. I want to continue to embody that, that there's no hesitation because someone's hungry and someone needs to be fed. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was speaking as uh, present day, and I had a hard time thinking of, at least at first, of this epic as the great turning, because in my heart of hearts, it feels like the great crashing, and uh, the idea that civilization would hold itself together sufficiently for this kind of you know, experience to exist, that there could actually be people 200 years from now that look at this as a positive time where we changed, as opposed to looking at it as, like, how could you possibly have lived like that and created the mess you created? That's what I kept expecting to hear them say. So to think of it as the great turning, each cycle, each time I had to address it in that way, I found myself feeling more and more faith because that's all that could possibly convince me that this is actually a turning as opposed to a crashing. And and, and I found it. It's like, you know, all I really feel like I can do on a day-to-day basis is open my heart more and more and more and do small things that I know aren't changing the world, but they're, they're doing, you know, I'm doing a little bit. And maybe if everybody opened their heart, that would be sufficient. And maybe if a few people open their hearts, more and more people will open their hearts. And maybe that will be a turning and maybe there is room for faith. And I felt that. So thank you. I hear you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We are going to take a short break, uh, 15 minutes or so, about five minutes after three, if you've changed your watches yet. (laughs) It's actually five minutes after two that we would be getting back, but we're going to say three. What? (laughs) Never mind. Never mind. Fifteen minutes. From deep time to scramble time. (laughs) 
Um, there Uh, there's now a couple of thoughts around uh, time and deep time and connection with the future that I would like to share. And Wes says it's all right for me to do that. <laughs> so, um, uh, West, the Western mind and... Uh, and a lot of the Eastern mind as well. But anyway, thinks of mind, uh, thinks of time as a a one-way arrow, and which is great because uh, it's so convenient, particularly if everybody else is seeing that too. And so it goes from the past and to the future, And it goes just in this one direction, and here we are here in a little capsule of the present. Now, it's a little hard to see from back there. So you can, but I'm saying this, you can picture it in your mind, or you can get closer. Because this is really interesting. (laughs) So, uh, in this model, 
which has a lot to say for it. For one thing, it keeps everything from happening all at once. And uh, But here, as you move along here, the past is over. It's finished. It's done with. You can't retrieve it. It's done that over with past. And the future, you never get there because it's overseas because you're still always in the present. So when I, uh, back some 30 years ago, uh, began to obsess about nuclear waste, and I went around to uh, the scientists and the corporate and industry, industry and government labs and enterprises to see what they were going to do about the ongoing effects of the contamination Um, because it lasts a long time and there's just enormous amounts of it and like depleted uranium doesn't that sound it's just depleted but actually it's uh, just about the most dangerous thing we've created because it is very light it's and it's so light it hardly settles. And it lasts five, four and a half billion years. It's half-life. Billion. So it's sort of mythic, isn't it? It's about the age we impute to the earth. At any rate, uh, this is, it obsessed me that uh, we didn't have a way of knowing how to protect or communicate or uh, have, a, have a way of handling it. And uh, because sticking it in the ground is not a way to do that. And uh, as we have learned by now. So um, I wondered then, whom should I ask? I tried asking the scientists and I tried asking the um, business people and the government agents. So I thought, oh, well, we could ask the people who would really have an idea what we should do with it would be the future ones. They would, they're living with it, they would have some idea what they'd want us to do with it. The thing is, I didn't know how to ask them because they aren't here yet. So... um We, uh, I began uh, looking at other ways of conceiving time in other uh, mystics, poets, philosophers, and this isn't the only way. And I was caught by, uh, riveted as a matter of fact, by a way of conceiving time where you have the... um, future here like that as a matter of fact in I'm the present and here uh, with our culture it's this time is accelerating here yeah so uh, but there these other ways of seeing time uh, have seen that past and future instead of being like virtually non-existent have nothing to do with us they're not there yet, and they're gone irretrievably. 
They're surrounding us. They're these past and future generations uh, surrounding us like a cloud of witnesses. And that under certain circumstances, uh, our uh, experience in the present time can enlarge. And that could be with certain mind-altering substances or in dreams. And there's a very interesting British engineer who did a lot of studies of people who had previsionary dreams the right before uh, some cataclysm and said, how did that happen? So he, so that was part of a, a modern-day way of seeing that this is, could be a way we think of um, our relation to the past and future. And uh, a psychiatrist, Robert J. Lifton, uh, has done the very interesting work on uh, time in terms of, so I'm interested in the psychology of time, of how we access it. So he is too, and he has a book, because, you know, he it's, it links. He was very interested in uh, what uh, the use of nuclear power and weapons do to the mind. And so he studied the effects on the mind of in Hiroshima after the first use of nuclear bomb. And um, he coined the term psychic numbing and then found that it didn't just relate to people in uh, Japan at Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but also to the whole culture that produced the bombs. And that was has been a primary, in a way you could say that a lot of the Buddhist teaching relates to psychic knowing, how to wake up from uh, getting inured to things or giving up on things or becoming asleep to things. And uh, so with the uh, groups I started working with, we were sort of using this model with, along with our um, imagination, or I like to use the term a moral imagination, where we would role play. So what we did here is a, a version of something we did in my living room, um, you know, 28 years ago. Now, what has struck me very much uh, right now is that uh, we have here in our time, in my lifetime, created technologies and market forces that push us to use these technologies that uh, immediately affect all the future. And they would, what we could call forever karma. Karma means the consequences of our actions. 
And with these technologies, and what I'm thinking of is, what these include, is fracking, hydraulic fracturing, where you aim to get at the gas by pumping into the underground waters uh, the chemicals that can dislodge and erupt the, fracture the rocks underneath. So we only have so much clean water, pure water on this planet. We can't manufacture any more. And we are at a great rate of speed pumping uh, chemicals that we can't remove into underground water in the fracking. That's one. That's forever. Another forever is um, a genetic modification when you scramble the um, DNA. You can't unscramble it. And uh, and then the another is uh, creation of uh, radioactive isotopes and radioactive contamination. You can't undo that. And so when we do now, we ha- having these this, uh, instruments of forever karma, it immediately, that's the way, uh, now we're into conjecture, but I'm planning this because there are a lot of people in this room that are smart and a bunch younger than I am and that you can be thinking about this if you're not already, is that this uh, fetches by doing this, you bring the future of even the far distant immediately present because by doing that, you are affecting them in that moment. Get it? Sort of? Mm. And uh, Robert J. Lifton in his book, The Broken Connection, about time, is that he's found that our relation to when we think about the future beings and the ancestors is mirror. When you've lost the future, you've lost the past as well. So that they're brought in here. So by thanks in a way to the market forces and the technologies now, we have the, all the beings right here with us. We just have to do something and they are affected forever. So this is something that uh, puzzles me as a, or summons me as a kind of uh, juicy moral conundrum. And I just, since we did the piece of deep time work this afternoon, I wanted to stick it in your pocket uh, to be thinking of. And uh, so in Buddhism... Uh, these are called the three times, the beings of the three times of the present, past, and future. And then in Tibetan Buddhism, there's also another time, which is called the fourth time. And in the fourth time, which may be coming available to us now because of what I have just mentioned, we can choose to I see this as, I suppose, with certain mind-altering substances, you can experience that much more easily. But I think you can just do it by choice, by will, 
and you, but it has to be from the present because this is the only place you can make a choice. And so it's from the present we can choose to uh, enter the fourth time, which is uh, like a twofold consciousness, um, maybe it's sort of like on one level, we're living in chronological time, uh, just the normal time we get used to living. But then above that is the fourth time where we can, by an act of choice and moral imagination, um, call to mind the whole scene. I think there's a link there with the... Um, forever karma and that um, this is a, uh, a a resource for us as a matter of fact you can almost be living in this sort of like what Robert Bly the poet calls twofold consciousness where you are on this um, sequential time, like the arrow of time, uh, on one level, but at the other level of your time, of your mind, uh, and by choice, you can call it in and experience that as well. And uh, the uh, celestial bodhisattva of the from the uh, uh, called Kshiti Garba or Jiz in Japan it's Jizo is one that both from the scriptures and I'll just write the name down here uh, seems to be helpful here Jizo or Kshiti Garba and the uh, Huayan Buddhism it's a, uh, uh, where the Indra's net, find that wonderful imagery. In Huayan Buddhism, like the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Garland Sutra, uh, they are uh, working with this all the time. Um, and it's just like they're <laughs> stoned out of their heads when they're writing. <laughs> but I have the feeling that... Um, the question that you raised here, one of you in that part of the room, of uh, uh, does every generation uh, face a great turning? Is this is this perpetual, or is this something that? Uh, but it relates to this, and it relates that we. I don't believe that we are handed a karmic uh, plate of shit, you know. If we're handed a riddle, then there's also that which will help us to meet it. Follow me? Yes. Of course. That, That there's like grace happens that helps you uh, not go crazy, but just uh, enrich and, and manifold your one's uh, uh, 
consciousness and the, the imagination. You were splendid this afternoon in summoning and using your uh, moral imagination. And this is happening in our time. Uh, I was just asked about how, because we use it a lot in the work that reconnects. And so I want to say that there, uh, there's a website where you can learn about the work. That re- it's workthatreconnects.org. And there's a facilitator development program that's underway and there will be another one. Constance, are you here? That uh, woman in the bright red jacket, just stand for a minute. Yeah, is she is uh, uh, co-managing and running the uh, facilitator development program. Thank you for listening. Brilliant. Beautiful. The gift, the blessing we have is that we have the Buddha Dharma. We can learn to play in that fourth level. And that we, I think, I'm quoting you now, uh, which is easy. I quote you all the time. But you said once, we have to learn to want different things. We have to seek different pleasures than those that we are now seeking and wanting from our global industrial growth society. And what we are doing here, partly, aside from developing some focus of mind and some mindfulness, is learning how to be playful and to explore this being, this, and especially this newfound ability that we have, mindfulness, to step outside of our dramas and our personal uh, issues and just be a witness to all that is, that is happening, relieving ourselves from attachment uh, and from suffering. Um, sort of. Sort of, sometimes. And uh, it's really a delight Uh, As the Buddha said, uh, the highest happiness is a peaceful mind. All the others pale, all the other little joys and happinesses. And and we're still, of course, hooked on the the old kind. But uh, we're learning. We're learning and we're going to learn more right now. We're going to play in that fourth level and... uh, we're going to do a, a meditation called the Big Sky Mind Meditation. Yay! Some people know it well and kind of wait for it every, every retreat, every workshop. Um, it's a, a practice taken from the Tibetan Book of the Great Liberation. Yeah, it's, uh, it's big. And I can imagine it being devised by these lamas sitting up in the Himalayas looking out and their great vistas, the great horizons that they have and how the mind just sort of expands to meet those horizons and opens and becomes very uh, porous. 
phenomena move through the mind without disturbing it, without, without the mind clenching or, or retracting itself, that the phenomena kind of liberate themselves. We, we just hold the mind still. We hold the mind in an open, spacious kind of uh, a sense of, the, of that field of awareness. And it's delightful. It can be delightful. So I'm going to guide you a little bit. And uh, as I'm guiding you, occasionally I'm going to ring some bells as a way to sort of get some vibrations happening in here. But first of all, open your eyes and look around. And let me know what in this room is outside of your awareness. That's impossible. Well, good. (laughs) Uh, Is your awareness located here? Where is where is the center of it? Where where does it exist from? Sense that your your mind, your field of awareness fills the whole room. And that everything is subsumed in this strange phenomena that we call mind. And now, holding a, a, a sense of that largeness, if you have touched into it, close your eyes and bring that sense with you. As you close your eyes, Begin to sense, notice, feel the mind surrounding you. That it isn't just located in one direction. Nor is it located in just the body. Begin to sense that the mind is spreading outward.
not confined to the edges of your torso, your body. Notice how the mind registers whatever phenomena comes before it. A thought, some physical sensations, sounds. They all appear and disappear on their own. If you just let the mind be still, registering those phenomena, without getting involved, without pursuing the content, I invite you to bring your attention to the sense of hearing. Begin by noticing the sounds in the room. The distant hums. some bells, let the edges of your awareness extend outward along with the sound. Sense that the edges of awareness reach out to include the source of the farthest sound you can hear.
Letting the mind open, become vast. Allowing for all things to pass before it, but holding on to nothing. Staying empty of content. Let the edges of awareness spread out in all directions. openness, spaciousness, Looking at this open sky of awareness, looking at what it's made of, we find nothing. It has no age, no personality, no characteristics of its own. Phenomena come and go through this space of awareness. Open, borderless awareness.
extending in all directions. Notice sensations happening in the big sky, not located by memory in a particular limb or part of the body, but sensations just happening in this great expanse of mind, twinkling on and off like stars. Everything passes through the great sky of mind without leaving a trace. If the mind is held still, all phenomena liberate themselves.
There are no edges to awareness. It holds on to nothing, knows all things, yet holds on to nothing. next time you hear the bells and open your eyes see if you can bring a sense of that open spacious awareness with you into the light
that's more fun than watching reality TV, isn't it? How did you do? Sometimes you make the trip, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it doesn't quite synchronize with your own sense of your awareness, uh, your everyday sense of awareness. But you could have that sense of open awareness every day if if you wanted. It's a wonderful practice to do outside where there's a lot of random sound and to stay with the sound as the object. Because sound is, sound is so obviously uh, impermanent, so obviously random, you didn't choose it, you don't choose it. <clears throat> and uh, it disappears. Yes. Mm-hmm. Talk into it like Yeah, that. ask your question again. Um, I was asking if you have any suggestions for some of us who live in the city where those sounds are sort of aggressive no matter how right. far out you're listening. Right, right. I would suggest that you pay attention to your irritation at those sounds and let yourself feel it. It's a, it's a, It's like we were talking about today it's a genuine honest reaction to that you know the noise of of the city but you know you thought I had a magic pill yeah Did you raise your hand? No? Oh, okay. Well, one thing that came to mind from that question is the power of the, the sound of the bell um, in focusing the mind. So that might be helpful for me sometimes listening to recordings of sounds of the bell can help keep that awareness even mm-hmm. when there's other distracting sounds going on. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. But I experienced that meditation almost um, like flashes of lightning. Like a lot of the time I felt imprisoned within my own body and experiences of sensations in my body and my mind. But then there were moments of kind of, when I think back on the experience, I I'd, I'd feel like I did get a sense of flashing on that big sky, mm-hmm. seeing, seeing beyond um, mm-hmm. the present moment to the past and the future. And then that, I love that idea of the fourth dimension of seeing things from that perspective where it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Illumination. Something that feels really at the heart of my practice 
is a sense of abiding peace with things exactly the way they are and the ability to be with things exactly the way they are and choosing to just be with things the way they are and to move really slowly can also feel really antidotal to like the overstimulation of the doing, the doingness, the human doingness of society. Um, And at the same time, there's often this sense of urgency because the world is crying out and there's so much work to be done. And there is sometimes this sense of a real quickening also in these times and just the need for action. And sometimes those two um, experiences can feel um, difficult to integrate or, or they can feel contradictory. And I wonder if you could speak on that. Um, do, you want, do you want to address that? Um, I think that sometimes we underestimate what we're doing here in just doing our ordinary meditation practice here or at home in, in the ways in which that contributes to a saner, more uh, gentle, peaceful, humane society, that this is the work. You know, I mean, we're all overburdened with being individuals. We're all tired of that. And uh, that's what you meant when you said, you know, we got to want different things. And I don't know, maybe it's my age, but uh, as my, I think my mind is getting a little quieter and it's, uh, it's a sweet, it's a sweetness that is available almost all the time and is, uh, it's not having a, uh, such a bad footprint on carbon footprint or, although the other day I was, walking and thinking, oh, boy, I'm walking to the grocery store. I'm uh, reducing my carbon footprint. Then I realized I'm made of carbon every time I take a step. <laughs> Sorry, I, I hope I... Uh, I think we're all being activists, even when we're sitting down. So... I just wanted to share something that has been coming um, up since I was on retreat not that long ago, and it definitely came up today. And that is, it's it's up to me, but it's not up to me. And what I mean by that is that, like the sitting practice, like what you were just saying, Wes, how important it is, and that the weight of the world is not only my responsibility and it and I can't save the world just by myself so that there's a doing that needs to happen but there's a being that needs to happen too and it's like finding that sweet spot in life which isn't always clear but it it's getting clearer in my practice so I just wanted to share that Good. thank you that, yeah. yeah and sorry just one more thing just how compassionate I felt for the people I was in the future and I said this before but the people in the present like myself 
and people in this room, we care so much. That's why we're here. And we take this responsibility on like it's ours and only ours. And, um, and we suffer for that. You know, so it's like how do we take wise and right action while also giving ourselves a break and, and having compassion for ourselves and loving ourselves? And I think that exercise really, really demonstrated that for me. So thank you. Hi. Thank you for that practice. Um, I've always wondered whether it's helpful to kind of um, intentionally gather some attention in the body before practicing open awareness to, to be somewhat embodied mm-hmm. before opening it. So I'm sitting here particularly today, jet-lagged and tired. And as I, as I sat, I wondered, wait, is it helpful first to kind of gather some attention in first? And then I often find myself... Um, Wondering that when I when I practice open awareness, whether it's helpful to be uh, somewhat embodied uh, first, or mm-hmm. you intuitively you, you know what you needed to do. You you could feel it in your body. You needed you needed some grounding before you could let let it go. Yeah, you knew the answer. Going back to, I think, your question, immediately I thought about um, this Beatles lyric that I hear all the time when I have that same question. Um, You had had asked about um, sort of how do you wear the earth, uh, or how do you wear all of this, or I'm sorry, if I I misunderstood, but it sounded like you were saying, um, how, how do we... How, how do we keep functioning? No, knowing all of this? No? Anyway, there's a Beatles lyric where in, in Hey Jude, and he's telling Jude, um, don't wear the weight of the world on your shoulders. And um, it, it reminds me that you literally can't. We're really just like these two-legged critters. We can't. And when we imagine that we are, that's just a story that we're telling ourselves. It's some narrative that we've made up because it's interesting and we're all very smart. And so I often wonder, and I wonder if you can speak to it, like um, how much of that is uh, healthy and how much of that is uh, our responsibility and where, where do we stop with that narrative and that imagined story of hauling all of this on our little shoulders, if that makes sense. It's, uh, I mean, in some ways, it's an honorable story. It's an honorable uh, fantasy. If it's a fantasy, I mean, I, I think it is. I don't, I don't see any world on your shoulders from here anyway. That anyway, you, you, uh, yeah, it's again honorable. That's the word I'm thinking of. But it also feels dangerous sometimes. Dangerous. It can feel really overwhelming and terrifying. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes it's really horrible when you feel like you're responsible for fixing everything, you know. Um, 
you have to remind yourself. I mean, I think often going to the big picture is a way of reminding yourself that you, you can't save the world. You can't do it all by yourself. You can't even, you know, I mean, the sun is... You can't even take it in by yourself. Right, right. That, that we, <clears throat> and we've been saddled with this uh, history of generations of, of assuming our separateness. And this is very, can be very cruel. May I? Uh, uh, speaking to that, I believe that Joanna spoke to that earlier when she was speaking about the open heart. But so when the when the heart opens, it it is that, and there's no getting away from it at that point. But at also at that point, there is the capacity to hold it. And so when when it's said it can't be done, I think the resistance to that is. Oh, yes, it can, because we know who we are. We know the love. We know the universal compassion, that we are universal compassion. We are universal love. I mean, the essence of the energy itself. So I, I will say that it's, there's a pause there. And so the only way to walk through the world with that is to in my experience, is to actually be with it fully. And that means you, in this time, our life is stopping. You know, we're literally stopping and, and not attending to anything else. And so I think that has been the, the conflict. That's a conflict for, okay, how do I... This is going on, but I can't participate. I'm not participating in any of it because it all brings me pain <laughs> to do that. You know? So how do I even participate to any degree? And that's the retreat. But at some point, to exist, we've, we're still relating. So I hear you. And I want to honor that. And I want to say that you do. I mean, we do. So there's a poem. So I was thinking about this, actually, <laughs> riding my bike home one day. And I was like, it was too much. And then I had this thought, well, I can... If, if the weight of the world gets too heavy on our shoulders, we can stand upright and wear it as a gift on top of our head. So we just stand a little bit taller as if we're carrying water. Okay. Uh, I'm reminded of the serenity prayer in response to this, which is to ask for the... Um, the serenity to accept those things that we cannot change, just to accept things as they are, and to ask for the courage to do the things that we can, and then really to to to, to discover that wisdom to know what the difference is, so we can do that which we can, and there's so much that we can't, and that's not up to us. Ours is to do our own work and to reach out to one another and help each other. And I think somebody said it very well earlier that it, it is all about love. That's where we draw our strength from. And that's the light that we can hold in the darkness. So if we have that serenity, that gives us the pause before we take thoughtless action. We want to do 
thoughtful action. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's, um, I sit here holding two worlds because I'm fortunate enough to be privileged living right now here for the next few months in this wonderful Northern California, but I also live in Cape Town where our water's been turned off. Um, and we're going to possibly in the next few months have water trucked to central stations by armed guards to go and collect our water. And I battle with inside of myself every day of living in privilege when there's such extreme poverty and that it is easier to escape into one's noise or one's busyness because of the pain of not knowing how I can help. And I see a lot of atrophy, atrophy and apathy um, where people are disempowered in this age of climate instability. And so I wish to challenge this incredible serenity prayer that helped me get through a bone marrow transplant and really helped me through a lot in my life um, because I feel that at least when I'm living in South Africa, I want to challenge my peers to wake up. I want to ignite a fire in the bellies and make people see and feel and experience a universality that they're denying because they're dying inside due to that denial. And, and I, I feel that when I'm living in the Northern Hemisphere, it's wonderful to be in group consciousness and group mind, and we're so blessed in the Bay Area. Um, but it's not like that in the rest of the world. And so how do I shine one of the facets of my light to gently and with love awaken my neighbor? Thank you. I think you raise uh, an issue that's really important, and that is to act locally, as, as the slogan goes. You know, you're, that's where you are. That's where you find yourself. You find something that's important to be done there. And it's not about saving the planet or any grandiose kind of uh, scheme or, you know, uh, idea. But it's just what confronts us from moment to moment, day to day. Uh, how can we make people's lives easier, make our own life easier? And, and I think the point I'm getting to is I can't accept people's apathy. I cannot accept a culture that lives in such privilege and such richness when there's such extreme poverty. And so it actually does affect me. Yeah. The anger has made me ill and I'm still alive and I keep trying. But I'm blessed to still be alive. And so the question again comes as we can live in beautiful Piedmont or in somewhere lovely and we know what's going on in East Palo Alto or what's going on in Oakland and it's the same for me of living in the Constantia which is the wood side of Cape Town and knowing what's going on in the townships and so how does one deal with that that lives within which is I need my mirrors around me so that maybe we can figure out how to get a phase change water evaporative technology into a school or something like that, but I, I don't know how to engage with my neighbor who's 
not in the same consciousness and, and will force. Well, thank you for trying. I would just like to say that <clears throat> I want to apologize for taking part so little in this conversation, but I have trouble hearing when with through so most of most of what's said uh, with the almost all that with the amplification I'm not getting. No. So it's not that I'm disinterested. <laughs> it's just I'm not hearing. We should get you a headset, I think. <laughs> no, it just if if you really hold the mic mic up to your mouth, it mm. it it, it Transports. I was also going to reference the serenity prayer. Um, but going back to the Buddha, I remember a story that he was in a town that had had a lot of different spiritual teachers. And the people were saying, well, why should we believe you? And he said something like, judge for yourself, does it work? So if we have these considerations and they're holding us back and making us crazy, that's not working. But if they're giving us little ahas or helping us relate to others, that, that works. So the Buddha was very practical. <laughs> yes, practical mysticism, I think. Um, I was just wondering if we, if there would be time to touch on the fourth step because we made it through the first three of the spiral and I would just love to hear anything you could share about that last fourth one. That would be lovely. I did hear that. Uh, but we um, made the choice just now that that... <clears throat> The fourth step was the going forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forgive me for omitting to put this up right at the way. At this point, it's exciting because uh, where uh, this is where uh, our uh, intention, the capacity to choose, comes in. And from the point of view, both in systems thinking and in the teachings of the Buddha, if you're looking to where you are, you know, there's the skandhas, there's the arising of the... Uh, um, habit formations, the sensations, and so forth. But if you're looking for where a person really, where you could locate a person, it's in the exertion of will or of choosing, choosing what you want, in the intention. And so there are some wonderful practices that we do and I we just ran out of time for them. We had to have a choice there and it was since my voice is going I'm, I'm not feeling very well at the moment. I'm just leaving that for you to practice. <laughs> and maybe we could, you could uh, 
give thanks to this remarkable uh, gift and being uh, a human being that you can choose where you put your mind. That's really quite remarkable when you, you can allow yourself to be astonished and impressed by that. And that uh, if you, um, if we had another uh, 45 minutes, we could do it, but do a practice from that, but I don't, I'm not able to do it in just 10 minutes, except to call you to in uh, Look at what you've chosen to do for today. And you might, as what we were going to do, as a matter of fact, I could tell you what we were going to do, and you could practice it in your heart-mind. We were going to sit and each of us think of some intention that we have. It could be a little one, a big one, but some intention that would, when you do it, it would be noticeable, quite noticeable to other people. So it would be something a little bit more easy to um, measure than just uh, holding your tongue. Or um, So a little project that occurs to your mind. And then you take this. You can do this when you go home. You state that to yourself, that intention. And then you adopt three other identities or perspectives from which to speak to that intention. So the second perspective is that of the voice of doubt. And you can... Say that to yourself or write that to yourself. Well, this is just write out this. I really don't want to do this or I don't think I'm up to it or I don't have the time or I don't really care enough or I don't know, etc. Get that out of the way or get that stated. And then there's the third voice. So there's your own voice for the intention. There's the voice of doubt. And the next is voice of the uh, ancestors. From the perspective of those who've gone before. And maybe you could choose ancestors that are quite a ways back. Maybe before late stage corporate capitalism that we're in. Or, but what would the ancestors say to your wanting to this idea of your hand that you're wanting to do this? And then you listen, and then the uh, voice, the, the fourth voice is, you guessed the voice of a future one. And you speak the voice of the future one about your, to your intention. And then you just reflect on it yourself. This practice which we uh, have done either each person saying the voices to themselves 
or sitting in a group and have the other people speak the the voices is a lot of fun and is always surprising, giving you a fresh look in some way or another at this intention so that you can see it as something really quite amazing that you had this idea at all and that this is precious and that it's nice but it's not worth doing or that this that you have uh, these other perspectives that represent our human family that uh, give more resonance to this and you have that's one of the uses of our moral imagination for uh, looking at your own intention. It's a precious thing. And we sometimes get in the uh, attitude that it's already going to be something that is going to be uh, a puritanically you should, you ought, uh, and have our uh, shoulders hunched against it. But to welcome it. Oh, what an idea. Oh my. It's a lot of fun so that you can let yourself be. Uh, and, and as I was telling to, to Wes, the way we were going to do it, and it's described in the book called Corbett, uh, that's the name of the exercise, named after a village in the Columbia Gorge, a town where we, we invented it. Um, it, it's it's lighthearted, a lighthearted way to uh, respond to your own aspirations and intentions. Sorry we didn't have time to do that together. And sorry that my own, I got a chill this morning that I'm sort of sinking into. Thank you for finding the strength to stay with us. Um, Let's see. I wasn't here this morning. Um, So I wonder, uh, Joanna, if... um, the workshops you used to give and may still be doing, or someone is, from despair to empowerment. Yeah, are they still being held? That that's the this is the same work, uh, but it's just ripened a little bit. It was we uh, from the late seventies to the mid eighties we did call it uh, because it was dealing directly with the psychic numbing. That comes from um, our uh, feeling uh, overwhelmed by uh, the bad news of our world, feeling that we ought to be uh, coming up with something and we feel incapable of it. A lot of self, how we deal with that self judgment, how we deal with our own apathy. And I remember a big and important moment in the genesis of that work was to look at what the root meaning of apathy is. Apathean, it comes from the Greek. It means, pathean means to, to suffer. 
It's the inability or refusal to suffer. Okay. So it's it's not a big deal, you know. So if so, something hurts. Okay, it shows that you're alive. <laughs> a flesh that's alive is easily irritated. Right. right. We somehow it's so easy to slip into something that we think something's wrong with us just because we are suffering. That's right. That's right. Thank you. But this really, it's, and then here we are in a setting that's devoted to the teachings Mm -hmm. of a great spiritual leader who said the first noble truth is to realize that suffering is everywhere. Right. Right. And is, um, what is the book that you just referred to? You just referenced a book and a oh, comment. it's called it's it's a book about that describes the it's called coming back to life. Hold it up. That's what I thought. Okay, I just it's out on sure, the. I want to make sure I get the right book. <laughs> Thank you. I have one more comment about um, shall we say making it through or I have a lot of faith in um, what people haven't seen yet. Um, each generation children see and know what we haven't before they bring um, what has been known but they see and know differently too they're visionary for good reason and um, God bless them you know I mean I think that Someone mentioned grace. It's a kind of grace in the human race. So I wanted to mention that because I think it's um, very true. And um, unknown in its potency. There is grace uh, happening all the time when we can identify oh thank you when we can identify what we're part of or when we can shift our identity to move out of our isolation and see that we are part of uh, a living web of web of life our breathing tells us that we try to we're given breath uh, minute by minute, second by second, by the larger body of which we are a part. Mm-hmm. Everything that sustains us, when we think of the guidance that what we did got from Wes, from the elements, all of it, we are being sustained moment by moment by the larger body of which we are a part. Right. And then we think somehow that we've got to have all the smarts and all the courage just by ourselves. No, the larger body of which we are a part, and we're living in a time when we are both in science and spirituality, accepting that, getting it, that our planet is alive. That's why we call it sacred now, because we are part of something that is a a web of life. And so when we act, when we even have the thought of an intention to act, 
that's just belongs to the moment. And then we take a step and we find we are being met. And you take another step. You don't have the smarts and the predictive ability to know or all the strength or all the virtue or all even the politeness, you know. But all you need to just take a step because then the larger body is response that we're part of. It comes to meet you like grace. Thank you. Late yesterday, I was at a remarkable event which was called Forced from Home and it was put on by the Doctors Without Borders in Oakland. It was an outdoor experience where you go in and you're treated like a refugee, you're handed your identity, what country you're from and so forth and you go through all the guides are doctors from Médecins Sans Frontières uh, started in France. The spirit with that was incredible. They are dealing with people who are just have been forced from home and have their families. Sometimes they're pregnant. Sometimes they give birth on the way. We were getting into boats and out of boats. We were getting into the cholera tent and out. We were looking at how they do it. And you could see from the faces and words of the uh, doctors who were our guides and explaining it to us that uh, they were given the strength and smarts by what they were facing. You don't wait until you have all the a blueprint or all the courage. You never will. But you are a uh, corpuscle or a neuron in a larger neural net. And you make a choice, you take a step, and then that was the core teaching of the Lord Buddha. Paticca Samapada, the dependent co-arising, what Thich Nhat Hanh is called interbeing. We have, while we're being scared silly by the awfulness of what we've created, we are also at the same time waking up to a whole other vision, a whole other experience of being human than that which has characterized the last five centuries of the Western world. So grace, I love that word because it's what we find we, we, that we will be given what we need. if we act out of the love and if, if our act is a response to the need and suffering of the larger web, then it... Am I making any sense? Yes. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> you, you, you are what we need. Let's uh, sit in silence for just a couple minutes before we break. Feeling your heart center in the middle of your chest. 
sense your breath coming and going through the heart center and filling you and every cell in your body with tender, loving kindness, appreciation. Fill your entire body with a deep regard. Honoring your basic dignity as a human being. Honoring your efforts to awaken. before the bell rings. I just want to say how moved I am by you, by your caring hearts, by your frustration of wanting to to care and knowing that you can only just as a separate self. We all are kind of walking wounded. What do you think after the kind of society we've grown up in that makes its wealth out of depriving others. But it's been, I just feel this in the room of such the, the moral beauty of your caring. And just don't get on your own cases. Love yourself for your Openness. You you took this day to come here. You're beautiful. Of course we live in an overprivileged society. That's part of the what breaks our hearts. I've, I think that the, I've been so moved by the figure of the bodhisattva, the one with the boundless heart. That's how I see you. So I've never heard in any sutra anything about a bodhisattva that keeps scolding herself. <laughs>
Can you imagine the Buddha saying to himself, you idiot, what did you... <laughs> There you go again. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think it's wonderful that, that uh, I'm so moved to think that um, how amazing it is that we're born into this time. where everything we've ever learned about courage and connection can be used. This is when you're meant to be alive. And uh, wonder and joyous exception, Would would you want, would you want our people, our humanity, to have come to this point and you have checked out? No, you're here alive. That's a great blessing for you and for us, for all of us. Each of you has a part of something so beautiful to give. It's okay if you don't know what it is. That you're carrying is beautiful. That's warrior carrying, bodhisattva carrying. Thank you all. Since when do they clap (laughs) at Spirit Rock? (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.